Hello, this is the Crush Monocle Podcast, the podcast where we talk about stuff. All the stuff. Uh, uh, intros are weird, okay? Uh, I'm your host, <laughs> Coop, and this is my co-host, John. I don't know what's happening. I'm late. I'm sorry. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I'd be late for my own birthday. Uh, uh, so, our guest this uh, month is... Um, I, I don't. I feel weird like writing out an intro because I could just go on and on like in gush. But uh, our guest this episode has been a staple of the soundtrack of my life personally, but also somewhat of like indie rock royalty. He's recorded hundreds, maybe even thousands of songs over the years. Uh, he shared stages with the likes of Guided by Voices, Cheap Trick, The Kinks, Green Day, Weezer, Big Star, just to name a few. Uh, he's recorded with legendary producers such as Jerry Finn, Tim O'Hare, and of course his bro, uh, Nick, Rag- Nick Rasculinic. I knew I was going to screw that up. Um, he's been part of... Re- it's Rasculinic, isn't it? Rasculinic? Rasculinic? Rasculinic. <laughs> See, okay, oh, almost. There we go. We, we were both close. wrong, John. Uh, <laughs> uh, he's been in... Um, He's been part of stellar bands such as Epic Ditch, Rectangle Shades. He's recorded with Alice Amora, Reliant K, and even joined the likes of Amy Mann, Ben Folds, and Henry Rollins on a William Shatner record. <laughs> but you might know him from the shoegaze rock outfit, The Leaves of Memory, or the leader of my all-time favorite band, Super Drag. Here to talk about all things rock and roll goodness, the legendary Johnny Flame himself, Mr. John Davis. Whoa, 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 whoa! Wow! Man, what an intro. <laughs> he does that a lot. Yeah. It was awesome. <laughs> we had a guest a few episodes ago, and he's like, well, I felt like I was reading hearing my own obituary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, but... Uh, <laughs> Sometimes we take dark turns on this podcast. Uh, we'll, we'll add to it a little bit first. How about that? Yeah, let's, let's, let's add to it a little first. First of all, I'll get this out really quick because this is really important. You have a new record out, right, John? Yes, I do. Tell um, us a little bit about that. Well, um, we probably won't have the records themselves for a couple more months. Um, but my uh, my dad passed away back in March. and Sorry to hear that. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, um, sure. He was sick for some years. I mean, it was a tough... Uh, it was a struggle. He, he definitely... Uh, for five or six years was really having a tough time. Um, Mm. And I wouldn't say that it was uh, spur of the moment, but it was just something that I wanted to do for him. And I had uh, been writing for like a a proposed third solo album, you know, for Mm -hmm. a while. As a matter of fact, when we were working on the songs for Moonshot, I was kind of writing for Shades 2 at the same time and writing for this other record that was sort of unformed, you know? Because mm-hmm. uh, I usually try to write at least twice as many songs as I need and, you know, three times as many would be great, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I just, um, I don't know, I just kind of sat down and, and listened to some of the stuff that I had that I hadn't used, like... Uh, Really, there some of my favorite songs from the last few years are, are on that record. Some of them go back even further, uh, but off the top of my head, like uh, there's a song on there called "Sunny Climbs." Mm-hmm. I think that's probably one of my best songs. But it, yeah, but it wound up on this weird little four-track 
album, you know. Uh, so we got it out there for uh, pre-order. It's called My Hope is Found in a God Who Can Raise Up the Dead. And it's, uh, it's a lot of gospel stuff. It's got some other stuff. I mean, there's just a lot of different styles and a lot of different ideas and sort of little avenues that could have been a record, uh, you know, each to themselves right. in a way. Um, yeah. But uh, I don't know. I feel like the, the people that like my music, it's like they, they either, it's either completely unknown to them or they really, really like it and want to hear every yeah. little weird thing, <laughs> yeah, you know, sure. which, because yeah. that's, I mean, that's the way I am too. You know, if there was a, if there was a, if there was a, some album of, of Chris Bell four tracks, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, I'd be all over that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really, um, it was kind of something for fun, but at the same time, I mean, it, it, it is a tribute to my dad, uh, who is mm-hmm. a, a man of great faith, uh, all the way, never, never complained, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, he wasn't a big talker anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, that yeah that that new record is uh, dedicated to him, and uh, it's out there on Bandcamp for people to if they want to pre-order, they can stream it there. They can stream it elsewhere. Like the actually the the mastered version of it is out there on Spotify and Apple and wherever yeah. else. The, the stuff on Bandcamp is actually not even mastered. Uh, oh wow! I mean, not that it makes a huge difference when you're talking about a four-track cassette, but I mean it does help some. It makes it you know more. More uh, recordy, I would say, just a little yeah, bit loud, sure, louder, sure. and you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like I, that. I uh, I pre-ordered the Mountain Don't variant. That's that's the best seller. I mean, I think they're about all gone. So. <laughs> good, yeah. that's good. Well, you know, uh, for those who don't know, four tracks and demos and unreleased stuff is actually a, was a big part of uh, the Super Drag fandom. They had a few records out and. Uh, their major label was like a Buzzbin album, and it was all over the place in '96. But then after that, they kind of went like uh, the fandom changed, and they started appealing to more like the Guided by Voices fandoms and stuff like that. So uh, he, uh, they would always put like all these demos out online. I've got stacks and stacks of uh, CDs that that are unreleased that like some dudes from the, the Super Drag message board gave me. I don't even. I'm not even going to ask how they got a hold of them, but. You know, I got like a bunch of Misfits covers that you've done. <laughs> oh, yeah. <you> know? <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so that's like a big part. So hearing those those tracks on this new album, to me, it sounds at home. You know, that's just that's the stuff I love that you always put out anyway. Yeah. So so in a way, that's kind of a it's a good uh, extension of that. Well, they they used to get mad at me sometimes for uh, making copies of stuff, you know, like unreleased songs, you know, it's really, it's probably smarter to keep that stuff close to the vest, you know, at least until yeah. the records come out. Uh, <laughs> right, right. And there were a couple of instances where people would take unreleased songs, like from Head Trip, for example. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to mention any names, but like people were definitely like <laughs> out there playing showcases, playing some of that, playing some of that music and forgetting to mention the fact that it was not their own Uh and they were there to trying to get a record deal. I mean, stuff like that is shady to me, you know. Yeah, no, no, I totally agree with that. Yeah, there's a difference between being a fan listening and then being a band and you know trying to kick it out there. Well, yeah, that's not cool. I thought it was a little. Uh, I thought it was a bad look, personally. 
uh, I wasn't wasn't psyched on that. Well, if it makes you feel any better, I don't have a band that would be out there doing that. Uh, well, no, this is a long. It was a long time ago, man. A bunch of kids, you know. Yeah, you know what can you do? First of all, I want to I want to say this. I, I want to ask you an honest question. With so much music that you've done over the years, different bands and stuff, does it does it bother you when people constantly bring up Super Drag in more modern uh, interviews? No, I mean it, it, it doesn't. I, I wouldn't say it bothers me at all. I mean, I'm. I'm uh, I'm happy to have been involved with making something that people still care about. Yeah. This many years later, I mean, yeah. I'm happy to, you know, I'm always happy to answer questions about that stuff. Uh, I mean, I'm real proud of it, honestly. You know, I'm I'm proud of those albums. Yeah. I mean, for we, sure. always, uh, for we always we uh, always gave a hundred percent, man. It just ate and lived and breathed and slept the band. 24 7 365 and those you know those records we just always did our very best to make the very best record we could yep. and if you if you go at it that way you got no regrets <laughs> yeah well at least you move forward though right yeah i mean i feel uh <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of a dumb analogy to make when talking about music but it really is kind of like a how a shark has to mo- always be moving or it or it'll die. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, you just have to keep moving. You have to keep, uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, unless you run out of ideas. If you run out of ideas, you know, uh, you're, you're, uh, the, the, the forward motion stops. But um, For sure. I just always uh, try to let the ideas lead the way and be in charge. And right. the best idea wins. How do you, uh, how do you, keep moving forward when it comes to ideas like is there influences that that just something just grabs you and makes you want to try something out or where does it where does it come from um i think that's probably part of it just being uh obsessed with records you know my entire life and and and, uh different sounds and new sounds and like hearing something on a record and wanting to learn how to do it i mean that uh i guess maybe that maybe that has more to do with like production choices and stuff like that. But, uh, as far as writing itself, I, I mean, it really never changes. It's always the same. I just kind of open it up and whatever's in there, that's what you get. <laughs> um, and luckily, you know, this is 2023. So, I've been pretty much in a constant state of record making since like 1995. Seriously, right? <laughs> uh, Man, that's fucking crazy. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I'm really proud of too. You know, because it's yeah. it's that that means like when business is bad or business is good or yeah. whatever, yeah. whatever trends yeah. c- come and go, and you know, whatever difficulties. I mean, nobody well, wants. That's to, cool as shit. Yeah. No, nobody wants to hear about how hard it is to be in a band. That that's one thing I do regret. Like. Because yeah. I feel like I wrote a lot about just struggles that we were going through at the time, like anybody else would. But it's like, you know, in retrospect now, I mean, I'm 49. I don't want to hear anybody singing about how hard it is to be in a band. It's like, yeah, wow. <laughs> this is the world's smallest violin right here, you know? That's funny. Yeah, for sure. Um, but, you know having a full-time job, you know, being a dad, being a baseball coach, all these different, you know, it's like life continues 
And music, right. you know, e- even if it's, you know, because f- for us, you know, for a number of years, that was all, all we did and all we had to do. But, you know, yeah. 99,999 out of 100,000 people don't get to do that forever, you know, just right. uh, on a level where it's, uh, you know, paying the bills or whatever. I mean, our, our bills were pretty cheap at the time, really. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but you know, it's um, it's just something that always has to have a place. I mean, if you're if you're a musician, you make music. I mean, it's it, and it's like you're either a lifer or you ain't. Or it's you know, it's it's yeah. it's not really a hobby for me. Um, just what you do, right? Like it's just what you do. Yeah, I mean, I, I've tried. I've tried to stop. <laughs> I can't. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need to stop. There's no reason to try and stop. Just keep going, man. You're good. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm I'm not gonna sit here and tell you I never thought about throwing all that stuff in the river. I, I definitely have. <laughs> For sure. Just don't want to see it again. Yeah, get it out. Not getting into all of that, but you know, Super Drag. For those who don't know, they had they had some label issues. You know, in the late '90s, they were signing bands left and right, and then tried to figure out what to do with them afterwards. Uh, Super Drag had a successful album, and then they. They kind of cut funding on their next one, so they took the opportunity to make the album that they wanted to make, you know. But it didn't really find an audience till till later because there was nobody pushing it. So they weren't the first band to ever have that issue, and I'm sure they wouldn't be the last. But when I got into Super Drag, that's when I first started listening to music that wasn't popular on radio. So that that single that yeah. they had their second major single was Destination Ursa Major. The video was only played like at three AM like a handful of times and that was it. Got that hundred twenty minutes treatment, but later Yeah. So <laughs> that that song single hand handedly taught me that like, whoa, the good stuff isn't played on the radio. Nope. And it kinda changed the way I listened to music. Uh, and that's always been kids. Yeah, so yeah. that's part of the mystique of that band. Yeah, that's cool. Um so, in saying that, do you have a lot of resentment for a lot of those uh, post-albums from that era? Yeah, John, like, what was that transition like? Or, like, what was that, like, come up? And then, like, you know, like, Buzz Band, you know, your hot band. And then, like, t- like anything about that would be fascinating to hear. Like, honestly. Yeah. Man, it was really, uh, <laughs> it, was just, it was pretty strange, is the, yeah. way, I, is the way I would describe it. Um, so, like, how did it all start, like? That would be cool to hear too, I think. Well, I mean, we you know we were sort of coming from a punk rock background. I mean, that's right. You know, uh, I was the drummer to start with when, when right. I when I started out playing music with Brandon and, and Tom. Um, right. You know, uh, and then we, everybody sort of shifted one one spot to the right, kind of thing <laughs> or whatever. And, yeah. You know, we ended up yeah. with a, like how bands do. Yeah, so uh, good. I love it. Love it. You know, at first Brandon was the bass player. And it was just Brandon and Don and myself. Yeah. And then one day after work, Tom came down to the basement, and <laughs> he first it was me and him playing guitars. But then when yeah. he when he and Brandon switched places, that it was like obvious that was yeah the, that'll work yeah that was the deal you know <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah um, for sure. So we just always had, um, as I recall, I mean I don't. <laughs> I know it's much different nowadays, and the, the the whole process is completely different. The way kids, you know, promote themselves and all that. I mean, right. this is all going on, you know, 
I don't want to say pre-internet because I'm sure the internet did exist in some, you know. No, I mean it, some it, form. Like, yeah. bar- it barely existed for all of right. us. Like right, barely right. existed, yeah. especially not music. No, so, like dialing up and yeah, you, we got we all get it. So I mean, we're very much still, you know, from the, you know, the the, the flyering and zines yep. uh, era. Yep. You know, that's yep, for sure. Uh, more so than I mean, I, we, I spent a lot of time at Kinko's in that, in that period. <laughs> Make a fly, yeah, fucking copy and shit. But, you know, oh, oh, we have a, we have a guest, Pablo. Pablo, <laughs> sorry, my guy. <laughs> oh, he's he's shy. He's camera shy. Oh, he, he won't come over here. Right. Um, but you know, uh, I just always remember us having. We never had any illusions about being on MTV or any of that stuff. I mean, none of that really seemed possible, you know. Right. Like, when I I was a kid and I saw Prince on MTV, I thought he was from another planet. You know, like, that was... He still kind of feels like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, Yeah. more so than ever. Um, Yeah. But, like, that was something that, you know, that other people could do. But we never... I never imagined... uh, when we formed the band, I, that was the last thing on my mind, honestly. And yeah. even signing uh, with a major label s- seemed like some distant galaxy. You know, we we never thought about that. Uh, yeah. But we would have, you know, you have instead these little goals. Like, oh, man, it would be great to open for the Archers of Loaf, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we did. Yeah. And, that, I mean, yeah. they, they stayed at our house and, Beat us at foosball at our own house, you know. Uh, <laughs> those guys are the best. They were great, yeah, man. Such sure, a, such sure. a great band. And so yeah. then, you know, a little bit further along, it was like, well, it'd be great to play out of town, you know. So then we went and played in like Louisville, I believe, yeah. or some. Uh, it was either Lexington or Louisville. Uh, just like a, a, a series of these small goals, you know. Then later on, it was like, well, we we started doing tours, and then pretty soon, you know, we we had a booking agent. So then we were doing a, a tour with Archers of Love. Yeah, yeah, you know, that was a trip. We listened to them a million yeah. times. You oh know? fuck, I, that, yeah, that's like a dream come true. Like, <clears throat> yeah. So, you know, but then after a certain point, uh, you know, we had been talking to this guy James Agron at Darla Records, and uh, that was actually the only demo that I ever sent out was to Darla Records. Really? Uh, that was uh, Senorita, right? Yeah, uh, I, I sent him a, a cassette tape with like five or six four track demos on it, and I mean, yeah. he wrote me a letter back immediately <laughs> and was like, "Hey, give me a call. Let's let's make you know, let's talk about making a record." Mm-hmm. And uh, so then, you know, then it was like um, we had to go out there. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, he was like, "Well, if I if I if I put this record out, you got to come out here and play some shows." Well. You know, none of us had ever been to the West Coast. Um, right. I mean, I've been to like Myrtle Beach, uh, Oklahoma. That was about it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, visit family and stuff when I was a kid. But um, so here we went. You know, we we took off out there to play two shows for no money, and we yeah. didn't book anything on the way back. You just I mean, like that, <laughs> that goes to show, That's like crazy. how stupid we we really were. We had yeah. no idea what we were yeah. doing. <laughs> Uh, but but it was just like the will to act, you know, like in Batman Begins, where he's like, your your training means nothing. The will yeah, to yeah. act is everything. Yeah, yeah. And you know, there were lots of dudes down at the Long Branch talking about 
what they might do with their band and where they might go play and da 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 da. But the will to act yeah. is everything. Yeah, okay. So we just barged it. We went out there. Uh, we played in L.A. We got paid with a pack of cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But there were like five people in the place. One of them ended up managing us, and another one ended up being our attorney. So, dang, completely well worthwhile yeah. uh, to Holy do. Holy shit! Yeah. Uh, to do the whole deal, and then we went uh, went and played in San Francisco. That was awesome. Never had been there before. I mean, it was just mind blowing. Uh, yeah. And you know. I, on the way back, Don was the only one that had money because he had an actual good job. Um, yeah. I mean, the, rest, the rest of us worked at record stores, uh, which are really the best jobs, but not the best paying jobs. Right. Um, so we stayed at a KOA campground. That was a total fiasco. <laughs> it was like, uh, it was, I swear it was like the scene in Caddyshack where they let the caddies in. You know? Yeah, There's yeah, all these yeah. people in the pool. Tom just completely did a cannonball right in the middle of the pool, <laughs> right off top. It was stupid. Uh, so yeah, you know, we just had this this series of small goals, one one mm-hmm. by one by one, and then you know, once that once that seven inch came out, it ended up on one of those CMJ compilations that came with the magazine every month. And people probably don't realize how important CMJ was. Uh, for, oh yeah, for sure. For anybody, I mean, obviously trying to get played on college radio, but just any kind of underground indie band, that was your best bet was to have them pay attention to what you're mm-hmm. doing. So right. that was when we started talking to record labels. And we talked to a lot of them. Uh, I mean, we probably talked to a dozen different record companies. Mm-hmm. You know, Brandon was uh, Brandon was really on top of doing a lot of the... Uh, I would say management type stuff at that point okay. in time. Like he was on the phone a lot, booking tours, and um, you know, he, he did. I mean, we we're doing doing all that ourselves, uh, and you know, we would go up the East Coast. We hit D.C., Philly, New York, uh, Boston, place. You know, do a run like that, and then come home, and there'd be five, six messages on the uh, answering machine from. You know, hey, this yeah. is Joe Blow from MCA Records. <laughs> hey, right, right. You know, because our, our phone number was on the on the seven inch. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So, you know, then it then it, uh, it kind of it it became it seemed like a not really a foregone conclusion, but it seemed uh, like we 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 would be able to count on having an opportunity to mm-hmm. to go make a record for somebody. You know, right. So then it was like we just tried to, we just wanted to get with the the uh, record company that would like um, enable the the max number of people to hear the the record. Yeah. I mean, and like you said before, uh, a lot of you know a lot of the major labels were probably signing bands first and then figuring out what to do with them later. That was actually a really great way of putting that uh, because that I mean. They they kind of were, uh, to an extent, trying to throw a contract at just about everybody that had a fuzz box. It seemed like, <laughs> right? Um, but we we ended up picking Electra, you know, again for for reasons <laughs> that probably shed a lot of light on a, the, the 
level of business acumen that we had at the time. I mean, we've, we thought, <laughs> well, they, they signed the Stooges and the MC5. Of course, that was, that was 30 <laughs> years. 25 years, yeah, you know, years. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was, the, the people who were responsible for that were nowhere around uh, Electro Records. <laughs> right. Um, but also they had Stereo Lab. Mm-hmm. And really, for me, that was huge. I thought I, I thought they can't be all bad if they have Stereo Lab. Yeah, because I mean that band's just infallible. It's a serious like Reader's Digest version of it. But I mean, the decision was made. You know, we wanted to be on Electra. So then, mm-hmm. at that point, it was we had an attorney, and it was like his his job was to get us the best deal that he possibly could. And honestly, the way he did things really helped us a few years later. Yeah. Uh, you know when the when the relationship did go sour ultimately um they still had to give us money to go away <laughs> <laughs> yeah there you go hey i wish i wish any time that i would have been told you know to hit pack and i'd get paid to do so well yeah i mean <laughs> reminds me of the rizzo looking at your shirt you know he said uh, you, you got to beat the label yeah you got to beat the right. label <laughs> and and nobody ever did a better job of working the major labels than that dude. Yeah. Because every one of those MCs was, you know, they signed with him, but at the same time they had the freedom to go get other deals, a solo artist on other labels. So if you think about it from a certain point of view, the entire, almost the entire major label system was pushing Wu-Tang. Like maybe yeah. maybe it was Raekwon or maybe it was Ghostface or right. Method Man, you know. But it, it was like every major label tried to get one of those dudes, and uh, you know, Old Dirty was on Electra. Okay. And so we were label mates with ODB, <laughs> no matter what. I mean, they can't take that away, right? Uh, <laughs> right. And uh, the same the same lady that did the layout for uh, Return to the Thirty Six Chambers with the with the the, uh, the food stamp card. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, she, that's the same designer that did Regretfully and Head Trip. Oh, wow, really? Yeah. I, I didn't even know that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, and man, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Electra and us, and it really wasn't all gloom and doom. I mean, a lot of, they, yeah. they obviously did a lot to, to promote us at one point in time. Uh, right. When it was beneficial to them. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, you know, I mean, with the second album, Again, with the, with the benefit of hindsight and like just a few more years of you know life experience or whatever, I mean, we didn't make one decision that was going to make it easy for them to promote that album. Yeah. So I mean, we really couldn't be all that shocked. And and plus, I mean, it was just uh, sort of sort of odd uh, in context of what was going on at the time, which was a lot of the you know kind of the new metal and rap rock yeah. kind of stuff and all that. I mean, we had <laughs> we obviously had nothing to do with that. Um, right. But when you was on uh, when you were on Electra, uh, be it with regretfully yours or Head Trip, was there any of the label types trying to push you into a certain musical genre? No, 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 no. Really, um, <laughs> that would have made a lot more sense, honestly. Uh, yeah. Nobody was it. Nobody there um, could ever really tell me what was missing. <laughs> You know, like when it got yeah. to be like in the valley times, you know, and they, I mean, they rejected 30 something songs, man. You know, the, mm-hmm. there was nothing like stuff like Lighting the Way or, you know, True Believers, stuff like that. They just didn't hear any possibilities with, with any of them. Uh, you know, 
not to change the subject on that, but there's I can't believe I live on a planet where Lighting the Way wasn't a hit song. <laughs> well, I certainly uh, I, I felt like I mean it, it wouldn't have been unheard of. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like it, that frustrates me every time I hear. I love the song, but I hate that the rest of the world's not hearing it. You know what I mean? Well, you know they they uh, they sent me up to New York one time uh, to do some writing with Adam Schlesinger. Yeah, and uh, you know, bless his heart, he's he's gone now, uh, mm-hmm. and I'm really thankful that I had a chance to to meet him because he was just one of the nicest dudes. I mean, there I, I just literally just showed up on his doorstep, a total stranger, uh, and it could have been like super awkward, but he yeah. he made me feel right at home and uh, sat down. We started listening to listening to songs. Um, I actually played him Lighting the Way and True Believer, and he was like, what are, what are we supposed to do with these? These are kick-ass songs. Like, these are done. Yeah. You know? And we did write a song, and they didn't like it either. <laughs> uh, that would be, I guess it's American, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, but, um, you know, at that point, I, I thought that to go up there and do the co-write and stuff would at least show a good faith you know, intent to make things work out. I mean, we wanted our record to come out. We didn't want to. Well, right. I mean, we didn't want it all to uh, disintegrate. We wanted the the record to come out. We wanted to get back on tour. You know, uh, mm-hmm. like we were supposed to. Um, and we did do that eventually. Uh, but yeah, I mean, so many bands really had it worse than us. I mean, not a surf. It took them a long time to get their second record back yeah. out of that mess. Yeah. Uh, and it was great. I mean, it's one of their best, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, yeah. I, I, there again, I don't know I don't know what it was that they wanted from us or from them. Uh, but, you know, I mean, we, we're from East Tennessee. People down here are, are kind of stubborn, a little bit different. <laughs> I, I, I think... After de- he, uh, somebody told me that after dealing with us and the Cadys, that the dude said he would never work with another band from Tennessee. <laughs> God, come on now. Well, to that I say, good. Yeah, there <laughs> stay, you go. Stay out. Stay away from here. <laughs> I think it's. I, I think it's one thing uh, that, that a lot of people also who are not really uh, well versed in the super drag uh, history is that every band that Super Drag toured with loves Super Drag. <laughs> uh, so uh, we had uh, Kelly Scott from the band Failure on our podcast uh, a few uh, last year, and he was in a band, uh, Campfire Girls. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and he said on that episode, it's like the seventh episode if you want to go back and listen, uh, he sung the praises of Super Drag. He's like, oh, I hung out in their tour, you know, in their van the whole entire time. They were like the nicest dudes. And, <laughs> yeah. and he was uh, he was going on and on about how you write the perfect songs or whatever. Oh, man. So, why, why did I not put two and two together that he was in that band? I <laughs> Well, at the time, you know, Failure had already like kind of folded and he was doing like other things. But yeah. So if a band, like an industrial band, like Failure, you might as well say, was one of their favorite bands of super drag like how could how come they're not the biggest band in the world you know <laughs> <laughs> well man it's always um it's always cool to be on the road with bands when when you hit it off well yeah it just makes the whole thing a little bit more enjoyable right uh you know and we um yeah we we were more than happy to get back in our van honestly dude i never liked having a bus 
mm-hmm. I liked having a shower. Well, yeah. <laughs> you know, I didn't like having to, you know, like just kind of hope for the best at the venue or whatever, or be, you know, you'd be out in the parking lot dumping a bottle of water over your head. You know, I mean, it kind of <laughs> right. sucked in in some ways. I, the whole uh, tour bus living. I mean, being in a van and getting a hotel. I think I honestly preferred doing it that way. Yeah. Uh, but, the, you know, the thing about um, the bus tours, like if you're if you're out opening for Green Day or whoever it might be, you've, I mean, you have to follow their routing no matter how crazy it is. So if they're driving yeah. overnight, that pretty much means you're going to be driving overnight too. And, you know... <laughs> Unless you're Black Flag and you, you, the van doesn't stop for any reason, uh, <laughs> there you go. You know, I mean, we 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 were hardcore, but we weren't we weren't no Black Flag. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I had uh, I had one of those T-shirts with the rocking van on there. Nice, <laughs> Andy. Shout out to Andy. I love it. So. When you guys were touring with like those bigger acts, like you know um, Green Day or Weezer or whatever, what was your experience like with those bigger? I'm not gonna say bigger acts, but you know they were a little bit more, you know, commercially. What was it like uh, being with uh, those bigger bands? Were they respectful to you guys? Oh, or? for sure. Well, I mean the the Green Day dudes, um, they treated us very well. Got nothing but kind words for uh, every, every one of those guys. They they treated us. I mean. As well as anybody could, you know. Yeah. Even, even though one time they did kick the window out of our hotel and throw everything in the room out in the parking lot, that <laughs> that did happen. Uh, and I, I I I saw it. It was it was a, a thing to, thing to behold. Honestly, it, it was um, like a it was it had with military precision. I mean, in, in, in five minutes, it was, it, it was everything in the room that wasn't structural. I mean, the the phone book, the little bars of soap. <laughs> there was nothing. Left, uh, yeah. the dresser just, to, and, just to punk you. Or what were they doing? Well, I think that that was kind of their their thing that they were doing on that tour. Because like the next day or a couple of days later, they went to Tower Records uh, in Times Square and they did like ten thousand dollars worth of damage to the record store. Jesus, like spray painting stuff and breaking stuff and just tearing shit up, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, but the next day. All day long, MTV News. I mean, that's you know you couldn't buy that much advertising for ten thousand dollars. I mean, somebody in that band is very smart, man. Weezer dudes. One of them's from Knoxville. Brian. He actually went to Bearden High School with with Brandon and Nick and all them. So, oh wow, those guys obviously knew each other well to start with. Couple dudes in the band I never spoke a word to, and they never spoke a word to me. Uh, I talked to Rivers one time, actually on the stage, like at a sound check or something, and that was the only time that I ever talked to yeah. him. Until this is weird. I mean, just this is the most random coincidence. The next time that I saw him was at the Green Day show. I think. Oh, okay. I can't remember. Was it? In, I think maybe it was in Providence. I I honestly don't remember. But he was there at the show, and I almost didn't recognize him because he had real long hair and like a beard yeah, yeah. and stuff. Um, <laughs> it really took me a second to figure out who he was. Um, 
and I was I was uh, chatting with him for a minute at the bar and stuff, and then I didn't see him again until we were at the hotel while this incident was occurring. Literally, like I walked <laughs> out of the room. I'm walking down the hallway very fast, trying to get out of the the vicinity as fast as possible. <laughs> and there he was in the hallway. <laughs> uh, and he was like, yeah, he, um, I was like, man, you better get out of here. <laughs> the, yeah. the cops are coming. Yeah. yeah. Green days wrecking stuff. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we didn't really have a chance to, to, uh, form much of a friendship or anything. Um, and then a few years later, uh, out of nowhere, they invited us to play on, um, they were doing one of those cruises. Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a bunch of bands. I think Sebado was going to do it. Or oh, like, wow. There were some cool nice. bands doing it, but we we just passed on it because at the time, some of the songs they had out, I, I just, I just I couldn't, couldn't get behind. Like, I just didn't want to. I didn't want to be associated with it, honestly. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't mean to be a dick, but it just wasn't for yeah. me. Like, I was like, yeah, no, we're not, we're not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> And I, and I think some people were bummed because I mean a free cruise is a free cruise, right? Uh, I guess I kind of messed that up, but yeah. I mean, <laughs> best of luck to them, man. Obviously, they my opinion means nothing. They, you know, they're they're glo- they're a global phenomenon. You know, it's like the goofier the songs get, the more money they make. So, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it's I think a, a big uh, thing that a lot of people don't realize is the the song "Sucked Out," your big, you know, your big hit song. Uh, a lot of people think it's a dig at the music industry, but it's really a dig at the at your Knoxville music scene. Yeah? yeah, it was very like local, personal. You know, it didn't really have anything. To, I, I didn't know enough about the music business to write about it, honestly. What happened with the music scene that kind of made "Sucked Out" happen? Well, it was. Um... Over at the uh, house where Brandon and Tom used to live, like where we recorded um, Stereo 360 sound, mm-hmm. and like, when we used to practice in the basement and stuff, they used to have a bunch of house shows there. Like before people even really, before house shows even were a thing, as far as I knew. Uh, yeah. They would just, I mean, one time I think they got like eight kegs or ten kegs of beer, <laughs> like seriously Jeez. insane amounts of beer and whatever else uh, nitrous tanks and all kinds of <laughs> stupidity <laughs> you know they have like seven eight nine bands play it'd be like an all day all night yep thing and uh i had just gone to one of those just to check out what was going on yeah um i guess it just made me feel sad because i felt like we didn't belong you know like i didn't belong there anymore or something sure. weird just a weird feeling like uh and it wasn't that long that you were playing those that that whole scene. Yeah, something about it, I guess, just didn't feel the same. Maybe um, <clears throat> to an extent, like I don't know. It just, uh, I guess, maybe it felt less like something that just to do for fun, and more like you know something people would do to try to get signed or something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's kind of. I don't, <laughs> yeah. I don't really know how to describe it other than that. Right. It was just a just kind of a yeah. bummer feeling, and I went home and. I mean, seriously, wrote the song probably in 15 minutes. I mean, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of it's ironic that the song about that is what kind of got you on the mainstream map. Yeah, no shit, it's funny. <laughs> well, and the really weird thing about it was that it wasn't even supposed to be on the record. Like the record was supposed to be finished already. Yeah. Uh, 
and they didn't have any intentions of making a video or even pursuing it at commercial, you know, alternative radio or any of that stuff. But for whatever reason, uh, you know, we had been working on the record over the summer, like we'd been to Memphis and then we went, uh, to Boston and did some overdubs and stuff and mixed everything up there at Fort Apache, which yeah, for me, I mean, that, that would be like recording at Abbey road, you know? Right. Yeah, I know. I mean, it's crazy. That studio. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Dinosaur junior. I get you. I get you. Yeah, <laughs> right. Just you know? right there alone, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, we got to use the same Mellotron that Sebado used on bake sale. Oh, yeah. cool. Yeah. That was super tight. You know? I mean, I just, I'm just a nerd. I mean, I love stuff like that. No, I would, I would, I would have been freaking out too. Like, honestly, like, uh, but we had gotten home and I just, uh, got on a a streak of writing. Um, and we had a set of drums in our kitchen. We used to put the four track on the stove and me and Don primarily, it was me and him doing a a lot of the four track, uh, demos. Sometimes other dudes would jump in, but I mean, they had jobs and stuff. Uh, sometimes sure. they weren't around during the day or whatever, but uh, that was just one of the songs uh, that came out of that little burst of action there. Like uh, "Sold You an Alibi" was one. Uh, I'm expanding my mind. Antichrist, like a, a bunch of them, and then "Sucked Out" was in there too. So I was just really kind of trying to be a smart aleck. I, I sent a tape to the A and R guy, and I was like, "Well, here's the second album," you know. <laughs> just trying to show off really yeah uh, but then he heard whatever it was about that song you know they they sent us back to the studio right away the whole game plan started to change and you know like you asked me earlier what it was like when all that happened yeah i mean we we were out on the road the entire time like for a couple three months before the album came out we had been out oh there. shit really yeah and we're, so we're like out there you know just in a van doing our thing and uh yeah um you know the next thing i remember like we were gonna have a day off and we were going to to go shoot this video okay well then the next thing you know a few <laughs> couple months later or whatever uh i just remember watching it on tv in a hotel room i mean it was it was really bizarre and that in that same day we had a, our friend larry on the road with us helping us out with gear and stuff mm-hmm. and he came down to the van with the full-on tr- just Travis Bickle mohawk, like <laughs> that. Th- I mean, that's the other thing that's memorable about that that day. Uh, but yeah, it was just really strange, and the you know the the crowds like got a lot bigger in a really yeah. Short I was gonna ask time. you like what the show started to look like. Well, and a lot of them had been booked months in advance, you know. So we were selling these places out and getting paid like two hundred fifty bucks. Right, yeah, in, in, in some like, cases, tiny you know? ass venues and shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, it, you know, it kind of took a second for that to balance itself out. Um, yeah. But that the 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 big tour that we did in the summer um, with not a surf. Oh yeah. They had a they had a buzz clip at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that well, was you were on the same label, right? Yeah, we had the same A and R. Yep. Oh, um, I remember. Yeah. Yeah, and. Um, that was crazy, you know. I mean, that, that was uh, it's just kind of a blur, really. A lot yeah. of it um, had to have been fun, though, right? Yeah, it was super fun. Uh, yeah. I mean, also super hard at times because yeah. uh, you know what? You're, you're okay. That's probably. I mean, being someone that's never been in that, like, it seems fun, but it's probably fucking super busy and stressful and just 
taxing. Well, what's especially they, when you're younger, you know, like in your twenties and shit like that, you know. Well, we used to stay up pretty late, and uh, <laughs> and we drank a lot, you know. I right. mean, we we right, right, raised right, hell right. every day, uh, right. And but the thing about that is, when you have a hit song, when you show up to the next city, it doesn't really matter what happened the night before. Yep. At nine o'clock, you're in a minivan going to a radio station. And they want to hear an acoustic version of Sucked Out. <laughs> You're like, oh, fuck, Which is like the stupidest thing ever. Right, I mean, right. You know? Yeah. 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 Just, I'll just sit here and just scream as loud as I can with an yeah. acoustic. It's just always. At nine in the morning. You know? And like, you know, the Not a Surf dudes, they were a little bit older and a little bit smarter, you know? And. Because they've would, been around for a second. Like, they would just, come bopping in, like, you know, sh- yeah. all showered and, like, pro, <laughs> and they sounded good, you know. Yeah. Uh, their song, you didn't have to scream, uh, uh, you know, while trying to play it on an, an acoustic guitar. It was just it was just awkward. <laughs> so I would always try to come up with some other song, you know, to play, and I'm sure yeah. they're, they're always, you know, dissatisfied uh, with, with that. But anyway... Uh, not that that's such a great difficulty to to overcome, but yeah, like you said, that's no, just interesting, you know. Basically, every <clears throat> every minute of the day, it seemed like you would either be doing something like that, or there was always, you know, a lot of phone interviews. Yep, stuff like that. Just like uh, pressed to death, pretty much, right? Yeah, I mean, but looking back on it, I mean, it you know that that part of it. Um, it's not that it was so challenging necessarily, but uh, I guess it, it gets to be a challenge when um, you, you you're asked a lot of the same questions, but you don't want to just repeat the same answer over and over again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I kind of wanted to lead in at this podcast. Does it bother you when people ask you the same freaking question for thirty years? <laughs> no, man, I, I'm I'm just thankful that people care about the records. Still, I mean, because that's re- they're really the only things that matter. That they'll be yeah, here yeah. after we're gone. You know? Well, I mean, to me, I think your uh, Lisa memory is just as prolific uh, as Super Drag to me. Those records are killer, and they're like, and they're all in a quick succession too, man. Like pounding them out every year. Well, on that deal, I feel like because it really wasn't a live entity. Mm-hmm. And we we only existed on record. It was like we had to keep the records coming. Yeah. Uh, and plus, I just was always having tons of ideas for songs. You know that, that makes sense. Yeah. That double album. You know, I mentioned before where you you know sometimes you try to write two or three times as many songs as you need. That time we just said, well, you know what? We're just going to record everything. Everything that's in the tank, we're going to produce yeah. it and just see. Yeah. Yep. What happens? A yep. double album in the year 2018 or whatever. <laughs> yeah, we always want... I mean, I always wanted to make one, you know. Just... Uh, I don't really have a bucket list, per se, but it, that was definitely, like, a bucket list thing. Like, but, I mean, like of course, right? Like, hell yeah. Like... <laughs> to have a, a, that many songs. Um, the the latest Lee's record, uh, Moonshot, we was talking about a little bit earlier... Uh, you, your love of Prince kind of comes around full circle with yep. the song uh, "Far Beyond." Yep, so dope, man. That, <laughs> I mean, that was really a that was a that was a big loss, man. I mean, a big loss for the world. But like, that really hurt me when when Prince died. It was like, yeah, uh, 
yeah. kind of like my childhood died, you know? Yeah, I mean... Because yeah. that was my hero, man, for real. My, my, my first hero of music was definitely Prince. No question. Coop, how many tribute articles did we do? Like 10, 12? We, yeah, every writer <laughs> at this publication wrote a tribute to uh, Prince. <laughs> Uh, my, the record, the the article that I wrote was about uh, how he was complex in the songwriting, but there was still heart to it, and then yep. there was still the groove, the most important thing. Yeah, yep. man, that was when I stopped messing with Kanye when when he said uh, <laughs> he was the greatest artist that God ever created, and your name's not Prince. <laughs> For reals, right? No, we don't. We don't do that. No. Yeah. Sacrilege. <laughs> yeah, that was that was before all the other. When that was before he really started talking crazy. Right, you know? right, right, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, man, I, I really like some of his songs. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I, I'm not me trying. Too, yeah. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but yeah, I mean, I I I, I really that that was like a. <laughs> I think I honestly I think I threw the CDs in the garbage. <laughs> yeah. I'll blame you. Yeah. <laughs> but the, yeah, that far beyond, that was crazy. There, there was a few, song. <laughs> there was a few different versions of it. Like, uh, it, you know, it sort of, uh, it sort of changed a little bit along the way and got kept getting funkier every time. <laughs> For those but, who haven't listened to that record, it's it's basically a Prince song. <laughs> <laughs> well, then the weird thing is, I was really listening to what I was really just hung up on. Uh, non-stop while we were making that album was that it was uh, Parliament. Okay, I was oh, cool, listening cool, cool. to uh, uh, Funk and Teleki versus the Placebo Syndrome. Oh, the one with the wild album cover. <laughs> and uh, uh, let's see, what's the name? What's the other one? Uh, Doctor Funkenstein. <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I was uh, I was really hung up on Parliament the the most. Yeah. Uh, I think those are some of the best records. I mean, that George Clinton was making some of the best records of the 1970s, man. Some of the most oh, creative. They're, they're untouchable. They're so good. They're so yeah. good. Yeah. And, I mean, yeah. you talk about, I mean, the roots of hip-hop, obviously. I mean, it's a... That's For one, sure. That's one of the biggest... Sure. That's one of the deepest roots, you know? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, uh, like, where it got planted, you know? Like, that type of shit. Yeah. Like, I totally agree. Because you had all all of James Brown's disgruntled employees ended up playing for George Clinton. <laughs> yep. Green, and then, green, then, green. He, then he then he started trying to pay him with drugs and stuff like that. And <laughs> 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 Some bad business going on there. But uh, anyway, yeah, that uh, I don't know, man. I, I like that um, with a song like Far Beyond. I, I like that factor of just getting to the end of a record and having somebody be like. What is this? Like, where did where did this come from? Like, like, the epic closing tracks on albums. Like, maybe I'm old school, but I absolutely fucking love that. Like, give me <laughs> yeah. just some fucking closer that's like ten minutes long, seven minutes long. Like, just super just weird. Go and like just put all of your ideas in one basket, or go some wild ass direction and just fucking play. Like, I fucking <laughs> love it when bands do that. I love that shit. Something that can't be followed. You know, yeah, no. there you go. No, <laughs> like, and and you're just like, and the thing about that too is it makes you want to start the album over again because you're like, oh <laughs> fuck, that was so much fun, and then you like, and then you're like, I want to do that whole journey one more time. You know, That's like, right. I fucking exactly, love that shit. That's exactly what it is. Well, throughout the the super drag uh, 
catalog. Rocket's a pretty wild song compared to the rest of the record. And yeah, then, for uh, sure, for sure, for sure. With Head Trip, man, the Art of Dying is probably my second favorite Super Drag song. That's one with the orchestra and the sitar and that man kind of that that was uh, not to interrupt, but that that was one of the funnest <laughs> and the whole Super Drag deal, the whole existence yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. That that string date. Um, it was in, first of all, it happened in the same studio where the Ramones did their first album. Oh wow! It was actually inside Radio City Music Hall. Yeah. Uh, that alone. How do you like, end up in these crazy ass studios, dude? <laughs> I mean, for real, that was uh, that was my blew my mind. Uh, and is it like know, your A and R people just being like, "There's time open here, get your ass in the studio." Yeah, I mean, they. I guess they can pretty much book any anyone they want to. Uh, that's wild that's wild so you're just like in the middle of the tour they're like we got you like five dates in Cleveland (laughs) fucking get your ass in the studio well in this case I don't know it it was probably well suited to the string uh, yeah you just got full orchestra with that track well it was a 28 piece uh, string section so oh shit uh, they had to have a a pretty good amount of room in, in, right. the, in the tracking room and a lot of studios in New York uh, you know the, the live rooms are pretty small in, in comparison yeah. oh, to yeah. some place like Nashville are, yeah. or LA or whatever yep. uh, but it was wild man and they kept the the arranger guy he kept introducing me to all the all, some of the musicians you know and they kept calling me the composer this is the composer <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, there's this kid here with this Beatles hair. Yeah, it was, yeah. <laughs> you know? it, was it was wild, man, for sure. Uh, but you know, those are those are the things that, um, again, you know, they they didn't promote that record or whatever, and they they probably never will get their money back right. that they that they spent <laughs> on that record. But we really did swing for the fences, you know, like mm-hmm. cr- creatively in every way that we could. We tried to stretch out every every possible way that we could and just show, you know, number one, the results of going out on tour for 10, 11 months and just playing together as a band night after night, after night, after night, I feel like from the first album to the second album. And I mean, we're talking about tape that, that ain't assembled in a computer. Oh no, 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 no. no. It's all, yeah. Yeah. Analog. To me, that's, that's one of the, I mean, and I, and I've made plenty of records and pro tools. Don't get me wrong, but I, I feel like that ability to, you know, put things in time when people can't play in time and put them in tune when they can't sing in tune and all that. It just ended up with a bunch of, the result of it is a bunch of fake garbage. Oh, yeah. I mean, you have to have, like, the, like, solid one take to two take, like, basic tracks. Like, that, you know, recording the analog is, like, a whole different ballgame. Like, well, yeah, I mean, and, you know, Don never used a click. I mean, he was the click. Straight up, yeah. You know, so. Uh, and I love that. I mean, like you know, I, yeah. You know, um, I kind of miss making records on tape because tape don't lie. And, nope, and, and, you and, can't fake it. And your ears can tell the difference, even though nowadays every record that's made, pretty much, you know, it's it's snapped to a grid. There's some mm-hmm. guy in another room listening to a different song on headphones while he moves the kick drum over and then moves the snare over every bead is yep. like yeah uh but I, you know i'd much rather just hear somebody play just play yep. play the song yeah <laughs> you know i so. mean the, the, some of my favorite albums have like that room noise to them you know what i mean like 
Yeah. Especially the drums. Like, you know, you hear these little big, roomy drums, and then it almost sounds like the band. I mean, you know, most time mic-wise, you can't necessarily be in the same room, but you can for the most part. Yeah. And that live tracking fucking... Oh, yeah. Those are some of my favorite albums. And granted, like, I'm a 90s kid, so, like, I gravitate to those 90s albums where bands, like, strive to do that. But, like, mm-hmm. I love those fucking albums, and they sound so fucking good. <laughs> Still today, you know. Yeah, no, yeah. they really do. Well, having everybody in the room playing at the same time, I mean, the, the vibe, the vibe is generally better, uh, at least until you get ready to really, you know, we we kind of got into a method later on where Don and I would play together, yeah, and then we'd overdub, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, but yeah, the the difference between that and like. Copying and pasting whole bars. Yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. the difference is huge. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I was mostly speaking to like the basic tracking because, like, I've been in bands and studios and shit. Like, everybody overdubs, or you have to fix parts. You you fucking jacked up like the last thirty seconds of the <laughs> fucking ten minute, eleven minute closer song. Like, you know, I get that, but like, it's just that vibe that you get where you can tell that like it's band practice, but every everything's mic'd and fucking ready to go. You know what yep. I mean? Yep. It's it's kind of something, too, that you guys uh, relatively quick got to that point because, like you just said earlier, you was coming from, like, a punk scene yep. almost, like uh, yep. those days in in uh, Knoxville. Um, it, I know this is kind of like a 180 question, but is it true? You might even tell me this before. The first song that you and Brandon played together was a Slayer track, mm-hmm. South of Heaven. South of Heaven by Slayer, yeah. We, <laughs> we loved metal, dude. I mean, we both had mullets, both loved metal. And uh, yeah, the first time we ever jammed on guitars, we played a Slayer song. Fuck I, yeah. I never would guess you for a metal fan. Punk, yes, not metal. Well, when I was, when I was young, like, before I even knew about punk, uh, you know, Metallica was like the, the gnarliest, you know, that thrash, thrash metal was like the most, yeah, it was like the gnarliest kind of music I ever had heard, you know, before I heard Black Flag. I, well, and, um, there was one escape video, uh, Streets on Fire, Santa Cruz, mm-hmm. Streets on Fire. It had an all SST soundtrack. Okay, yeah, yeah. And I watched that video album or whatever. hundreds of times, you know. Yeah. Like, we would watch it every day, you know, to get <laughs> get stoked to go skate. And uh, so, I mean, it, that was the first time I heard Sonic Youth. First yep. time I heard Firehose, Minutemen. Well, I had heard Minutemen because uh, of my cousin. My, my cousin Rick uh, was the bass player in this band called the Rude Street Peters. Yes. And they're they're, band, they're one of the man. one of the greatest Knoxville bands ever. Yeah, one of the most unique. They're, they're, nobody sounds like the Rude Street Peters. Uh, <laughs> and he, I mean, he had all the SST records. I mean, like in eighty five, eighty six. I remember yeah. sitting on the floor in his bedroom. I remember seeing New Day Rising. <laughs> you know, uh, Three Way Tie for Last by the Minutemen. <laughs> like he, he had all. I mean, and, and there couldn't have been that many people in Knoxville. There was maybe a couple, two, three hundred people that that were even aware of that stuff, you know. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, but anyway, that that video, "Streets on Fire," was huge, because um, that really kind of that really lit the fire, you know. Then then I was just going to Camelot 
music and buying any tape that had SST logo. Yeah, you're like label wreck. You're like, if that on SST, I guarantee you it's fucking dope. <laughs> I mean, you know, but I, that's how I found out about Meat Puppets. You know, yeah, I think uh, that still holds true, doesn't it? Like, is there a shitty band that was ever on SST? I don't know. Not that I know of. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, you know, some man, man, some of those, uh, some of the, some of that stuff, like Greg, Greg he, he kind of loses me some, 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 sometimes. Uh, yeah, but it's still like experimental, cool. Like it's yeah. not like annoying or like embarrassing. Yeah, like, you know, you know. Well, he really did have an unbelievable, uh, you know, ear for talent. I mean, speaking oh, of fun. the Minutemen, you know, he, he, I mean, he was a huge fan of the Minutemen, and that's that's why they ended up having such a long yeah. uh, relationship. And the history yeah. of that label is insane. Like yeah. that track record's fucking nuts. You know. <laughs> well, and just the the whole way of life. I mean, they were mm. you know they were sleep black flag. I mean, they they slept on the floor at SST. Just you know, <laughs> they, they had nothing. Like er, er, everything that they made went right back into the label. Yep. I'm sure. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have mega respect for anybody that could endure, you know, going out and doing 60 shows in 60 days, like yep. <laughs> riding in the back of the rider truck in the dark. <laughs> I mean, that's hardcore, man, for, literally and figuratively. <laughs> kind of going back on uh, to circle around about that point was uh, when I – when I got into Destination or some major, and I kind of realized that all the the best music wasn't on radio, I actually got into all my albums, and I was like probably thirteen or whatever. And I would write letters to all the record labels and ask them, like, "Hey, what's some other good bands that sound like this?" You know, and wow. they would put me on this list, and I would always get like these demos in the mail or whatever. And basically, um, that's what kind of got me into like real indie indie music and in one of those uh in one of the the things that they um sent me there was a, a some indie label really tiny label that uh sent me a demo disc that had 30 amp fuse tracks nice on it. and uh, that goes back around to a band that you was either temporarily in or had that what is your connection with 30 amp fuse well um don and mike smithers used to be roommates okay in a, in a couple different spots around town. Uh, when I, when I first, um, met those guys, I remember the day that I met them both at the same time. It was, uh, they had a benefit for the Mercury theater. It mm-hmm. was, it was somewhere out, out on a farm somewhere. <laughs> and, uh, the used played gone dogs played uh, a bunch of bands played, but, um, Don and, and Smithers came up to me, and we started talking, and they were like, yeah, well, somebody told us that you played bass. And it was like, well, yeah, you know, I, I have a bass. I can play I can play some bass. Uh, the typical and, bass player story. And that yeah. was, uh, <laughs> right. you know, that was, that was the first time that I had ever been out front, like, you know, writing stuff on my own and singing it, uh, was playing with Don and Smithers in this band called Punch Wagon. We only, we made like it. We made one tape, and I don't know. We played two or three shows. That was it. Uh, well, you know, fast forward a little, a little while later, Mike um, had been playing with some other dudes as Thirty Ant Fuse, and in fact, my friend Carl Snow um, was in the band at that time. He he played guitar in Coro, 
which is another one of the most mm-hmm. most amazing Knoxville bands. Absolutely top of the list uh, yeah. for me. Uh, but he actually, I mean, he wrote the song 30 Amp Fuse. I don't, I think that maybe he, <laughs> it was his idea to call it 30 Amp Fuse. I, I don't really know exactly what happened, but those dudes, you know, for a while didn't get along no more. <laughs> Mike wanted to uh, keep it going. So I guess, you know, like I said, he, he and Don were roommates and they sort of, uh, <clears throat> by, by one means or another, I guess we had done that record with Darla and maybe he sent some demos to Darla and they were interested in doing something with 30 Ant Fuse. So Mm -hmm. uh, this was like the summer of 94, if I remember Mm -hmm. correctly. Uh, I'm trying to think of when that... I guess it actually came out maybe the next year, uh, that that record, uh, Wind Up by 30 Ant Fuse. Yeah. Killer, killer record. But that that was all us playing live, like we talked yeah. about earlier. Um, yeah, I mean, we it, it was out in the it was in a, the the tracking room was in a garage, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we just cool. we just uh, jammed together and then overdubbed the vocals. And uh, same with a lot of that early super drag stuff. I mean, that mm-hmm. was just the band playing live with overdub yep. vocals. That's why there's so many mistakes, and it's like so raw and. You know, my son Elijah. That, I think that's really the only super drag stuff that he actually likes. Really? <laughs> he said, said that's well. He said his favorite. Uh, I think his favorite band, you know, or, or favorite record of all the ones that I've had something to do with is probably that used used to be album, yeah. just because it's punk rock and super raw. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's what he likes. So, yeah. uh, you know, at the time we really didn't know any better. But I'm kind of glad that we did things that way because it, mm-hmm. it, uh, you know, it, like we talked about, it has a, it has an energy that you just can't reproduce when you're overdubbing everything to a click track. It's just not the same. So what do you do when you put on some some of your stuff and he's just like, meh? You're just like, oh, uh, okay. I, well, I would first of all, I would never do that. Yeah. <laughs> I know better. Like bro, yeah. let me get that ox. Come on, yeah. man. <laughs> he, uh, he, he came over. He came over to Vibe City. Uh, there's a studio here in Knoxville. My friend owns. It's called Vibe City, and uh, yeah. we yeah. were over there making some demos and stuff. And Elijah actually played guitar on one of them. Oh, nice! And he nice. said, he said, why? He said, why are y'all still playing alternative? He's like, you need to play some metal, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I loved yeah. it. I loved it. Yeah, yo, that's hey, hilarious. Yo, that's, that's so good. <laughs> that, I'm just telling you, you know, I brought up Slayer earlier. I think there needs to be a John Davis yeah, metal project. You get back to those thrash roots. Get oh, man. Get back to those thrash roots, man. <laughs> oh, man. I don't know. It'd probably, probably be pretty weak, honestly. <laughs> that's all right. <laughs> I'm sure your kids will love it. De- you know? Death to false metal, I say. <laughs> I'm the I'm the publications thrash guy, so uh, I love all that that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, are we going to hear any more music from the Lees? Definitely. Yeah. Yeah we we fully intend to do more. Uh, I think maybe the next thing that we do mm-hmm. is going to have either a, a lot more from from Brandon or maybe everything on the record will be stuff oh, wow. that, that we co write. Okay, because like, those are always my favorite. Yeah, like uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, 
Man, Deliquest like wrecked me the first time I heard it. Well, that was the very first Lee song. That was the, yeah. the first one. Uh, but to me, like thinking back to even um, Moon, the Moonshot album, uh, "Drift Into yeah. a Dream." Yeah, like, that's my favorite. That's probably my favorite song on the album. Uh, yeah, it's a good one for sure. And I feel like, you know, it's really kind of hard to predict because we don't have any songs. But I feel like kind of stepping off into that uh, that kind of mood and atmosphere. Oh, yeah, for I sure. Mean, yeah, kind of dreamy. And, and having that be sort of the jumping off point for some new album, you know? Okay. Uh, it'd probably have... I mean, I, he, I think a lot of the ideas that he has for songs, um, like there's a lot of uh, synths and mellotrons, a lot of keyboards, you know? Okay. We talked about, like programming some drums or do, you know just doing doing things differently than we've done before like yeah. the Lee's memory to me is kind of like an experimental band yeah for sure that's kind of the whole the whole reason you know it's just okay. a because you know super drag always has these parameters like well you know super drag can't have a pedal steel we don't we're not <laughs> having that you know well, I mean, like, say for more. That's Come people on. hated that song, dude. That's I love that the, song. That's the most probably the most hated super drag song, ah, probably. It's a like, cool song. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, like I said, we just always let the ideas be in charge. Yeah. You know, who says we can't do it, that kind of a song? Yeah. Because, like, really, you talk about coming from a punk background. Really, I mean, that just means freedom. Mm-hmm. I mean, punk yeah. equals freedom. Like you, yeah. you no nobody else is going to tell you what your band can sound like. You right. you, you d- dictate that yourself. So, uh, but with Elise Memory, it's kind of like all bets are off because every record is totally different. There's no, yeah. There's no, uh, no. Um, there are no, there are no parameters per se. Every forty five is different. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. You know, that's my favorite thing. Really, probably my favorite thing about it. Um, and there definitely will be more. Uh, Good. You know, I'm I'm tracking a new album right now. Uh, that, that's just going to be a, a solo record. Um, okay. Cool. Cool. And probably when that wraps up, and we're kind of in the mastering and like you know packaging and all that, all the stuff that happens mm-hmm. later, uh, yep. would be a great time to to get some stuff happening with Brandon. Cause I mean, that, that's the homie since 1988, my best friend, you know, <laughs> I mean, if you guys do another cover of say that South of heaven, I would totally buy it. on <laughs> That would be, I'm just trying to think of how, man, oh, that would be hilarious. That would be, it'd be rad. Elise, um, Elise version of South of heaven, my slayer. <laughs> yeah. That'd be, that would fit very well with your solo stuff, I'm there sure. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I have to ask you, if you don't want to answer that super cool, well, was there going to be a super drag record, a new one? Yeah, I mean, we, we had every intentions of making one. Okay. Um, it's kind of, it's something really that I can't, I wish I could explain, but I really can't explain without. Right. Okay. Uh, no, that's fine. I just I don't want to like I don't want to sound uh, 
like I'm talking down or like throwing anybody under the bus anywhere. Oh God, no! No, not at all, dude. Not at all. No, no. So it's better to just yeah, uh, leave it at that. I mean, we we had intentions of definitely had intentions of making a record. I was trying to write, you know, for that record. Mm. Uh, but you know, sometimes uh, you try to do these things and it don't work. Unfortunately. No, I mean the circumstances are hard too, right? It's like you just talked about, like when you're on tour and you're being shoved in the fucking studio every other day and all that shit. Like, I get it. Like, it makes sense. Well, it's like you, you know, no matter how, no matter how much you you want for something to happen, sometimes it just doesn't happen the way you want yep. It to. Yep. And uh, you know, uh, I've spent more time. Uh, writing this record probably than any other one and I probably never will spend this much time writing another one again yeah yeah because uh, it's I mean it's only 10 tracks but it's like it's going on well it's getting on close to almost a, a couple of years uh, since I started writing this batch of songs um, and I think the you know that that's probably the the biggest reason why it's just going to end up being my record and not a not a group mm-hmm. record is just because for sure for sure uh, you know it's like you got to clear the chamber so more ideas can move through right you, you got to get you know you got this this batch of material here it's got to be like realized and just gotten out of the way so you can keep moving forward yeah you have to clear the yeah to clear the tunnel like otherwise you're shit you just sitting like OCD on like other ideas that you've been working on for I don't even know how long, right? Exactly, yeah. Well, uh, I also want to say that, being that you say that, that also brings up a good point. Um, I It was very selfish of me to even want to ask and talk about that thing, but a lot of the fans do that, and even though Super Drag is like our own little secret band that only a, a fandom loves, it's not like this big world thing anymore, you have to be respectful to the people that's making these songs, I, I love Super Drag. I love Lisa Memory. I love John Davis. But you're still a human being who has to make these tracks and whatever is going on in your in your mind and your, you know, it's this is up to you. You know, we don't own you. Oh well, I mean, <laughs> you know, the fact is, man, over over long periods of time, I mean, you know, relationships do change and things things do change and people 100%. change and uh, yep. You know, I, I, um, everybody involved with it, um, I'm, you know, as far as the dudes in the band, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely hundred percent cool with, with all of them. And I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a brotherhood and it's a, it's a family, you know, mm-hmm. f- forever that, that don't change. Uh, yeah. but you know, the, the, sometimes, uh, yeah, sometimes it's just the circumstances around the thing are, are, are what yeah. need to change and, it, yep. and you, you need a new a new a new place to go and record or a new something new something different yeah. uh so that that's kind of where we're at but i think i think people are going to i mean if super drag people are willing to take a chance on this album i do not think that they will be disappointed very no, cool there's no way. hell yeah hell yeah hell yeah that's dope. your uh, your first two solo records which could not be any worlds apart from each other uh <laughs> I just got that one on vinyl, you know, earlier this yeah. year. I bought, uh, okay, so for people that don't know, John's first solo record is basically a gospel record. Not a gospel record in a sense like 
contemporary right. Christian. It's more like Brian Wilson and John Lennon got together and, and made a record. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's the first time I heard it, I cried. That's how good this, that record oh. is. And um, the second record he did is the greatest record that Dave Grohl thinks he would ever be capable of. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we, yeah. we did that at, at, at uh, Studio 606. That's where, yeah. that, that's where we did that. And, Amazing. And we, and we absolutely definitely wanted to one-up him on, in his own house. That was... Dude, Arigato, yeah. that second record, that is uh, the, one of the greatest records that you've ever recorded. I mean, not to not to take it into like a, a sports kind of mentality, but we definitely... <laughs> <laughs> wanted to go up in there and one up them on their own. You just equipment. fucking destroy your studio. You're like, what? <laughs> well, that shit's so good. Dude, it, it was so nice. Like, I mean, it, you couldn't ask for a nicer place to record. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, I'm sure it's immaculate. Yeah, and it's just everything. It was kind of strange seeing Kurt Cobain everywhere. Like e- everywhere yeah. you look, you know, there's like awards and and pictures of him ev- everywhere. Well, uh, I did get to play one of his guitars. That that was a weird. Oh, that's thing. cool. That was a yeah. weird thing that happened. Uh, it was one of those uh, Univox uh, Mosrite copies. Yep. Oh yeah, yep, yeah. Yep. The dudes they they flipped the nut so they could play it righty. Yeah, uh, yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah, because it's so, flipped. Uh, yep. But I, I did get to I did that song Paranoid. Uh, it has um, one of Kurt's guitars on there. Oh, that's awesome! That's I didn't so even cool, know man. that. Paranoid's a killer track too, man. And yeah. if you like. If you just stand there with like a really high gain amp, it just does the in utero, like the feedback. Yeah. It just makes that it makes the sound. Yeah, it's wild. Yeah, uh, I mean, he did minimal shit. I mean, I think he played shit guitars just because he knew, you know. <laughs> but you never saw him with like a fucking like, you know, decked out guitar. It was just whatever the fuck. And it was usually like a Univox. And then when he got bigger, it was like that Jaguar bullshit, you know. So well, that I don't know, man. I I just I guess what I what I meant was like seeing his face everywhere th- throughout that building is it, it really just brought home the feeling of like, man, that dude should be in here recording. Yeah. You know, like obviously what, what happened was, was, was terrible. I, I have some pretty strong views on that subject. Um, I don't really buy the official explanation on that one. There's, there's yeah. a lot of things about that. Uh, case that don't make sense, and uh, I don't know if I don't know if the truth will ever be exposed like on a on a on a widespread uh, basis. But right, it's highly highly suspicious <laughs> the, the yeah. whole the whole thing. Oh yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, we we absolutely Yogi and me definitely we're sitting on the plane, you know, we had every intentions of going up in there and, uh, <laughs> one up in them in their own house. We definitely, so fucking good. I love that. Did, uh, did you get to meet a uh, girl when you were up there? No, I, I met him uh, years later though at the basement. Uh, okay. In Nashville. Um, uh-huh. Nick's wife had a birthday and as a favor, he asked they were gonna have a party for her at the basement and he asked me if we could show up and like play seven or eight super drag songs so we cool. did look yeah and, that's uh, cool that's so cool and they uh the foo fighters were playing at the bridgestone you know where the mm-hmm. preds play uh and so he showed up there at the at the basement oh nice and uh yeah nick nick wanted us to meet him and uh 
he was like, I remember, I remember you guys. Why did you stop playing or something? And I was just like, <laughs> um, Yeah, we started another band. <laughs> <laughs> that was basically it. Yeah. That was the extent of the conversation. Uh, uh, nice. Uh, Very nice. He, he did stay there till like four in the morning taking selfies with people, though. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, uh, what's immediately next for John Davis? Well, I've um, I'm like six songs deep into this new LP. Mm-hmm. I have a little bit more writing to do. I mean, I think there's three other songs I have that we want to do, and then I've got a. I plan on making a t- making a ten song album. Okay. Uh, the name of it's Jinx, mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's because uh, that's because my fiance and I we jinx constantly all day, every day. <laughs> like say the same exact yep. thing, same words, same inflection, same t- like t- timing and everything. It's like, and then and then we sit there and go Jinx, 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 Jinx. <laughs> so uh, that's wholesome, man. Yeah, uh, I'm really psyched for people to hear these songs. I think it's a really strong. I just wanted to make ten bangers, you know. Want it to yeah. be like, yeah. bulletproof, and uh, you know, we're kind of like we're not going to overgram it. We're kind of like going to do it and then talk about it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. So it's kind of a. It's not like it's top secret or anything, but we're just. Uh, Trying to keep it pretty low key until it's ready to go and people can hear sure. it. Uh, yeah. And then beyond that, um, hmm. man, I, that's that's really about as as far ahead as I'm as I'm thinking right now. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think after that, probably the, the next thing I try to make will be something with Lee's and memory, Brandon. Good. Uh, you know that's cool. uh, that's definitely cool. um, a goal. That I have in mind. <laughs> I uh, I'm I'm stoked for anything with uh, with Brandon. The first time I uh, I met you, I didn't get to see Super Dragon their original uh, version, but you was on your tour for your first record, and you played. Uh, I live in Chicago. You played in Naperville mm-hmm. with um, the Violet Burning and uh, what's the dude's name from um, the Smoking Popes. Um, yeah, uh, Duval. 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 I yeah. met you there. I got there early, and I helped you set up your merch table. I remember that. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Awesome. We both had uh, the Adidas with the Jamaican flag on our shoes. Oh. <laughs> I, I need. I need another pair of those. Where can I get some more of those? Yeah. <laughs> those things I, are uh, tight. I remember though. I talked so much. I was hoarse because I was completely fangirling this whole the whole time. It was just like, cool, leave together. me the fuck alone. And let me set up my merch table. I, probably. I felt <laughs> oh, so bad no, afterwards. Man. No, it was, uh, it was all good, yeah. buddy. No worries. And I, I remember the thing I said. I said, um, I hope that you and Brandon do something together again because he was like the George Harrison of Super Drag. You said. <laughs> I think he would like hearing that. Yeah, he, oh, he like would, for that. sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah he, even today, I'm sure he'd like to hear that. It's <laughs> cool. Uh, but yeah, listen, I want to say uh, I want to say thanks for, for coming and hanging out with us. Uh, this was a big deal to me because I'm such a diehard fan from a billion years ago. Uh, I don't have to uh, blow smoke up it or anything, but John can tell you here that oh, yeah. I'm like... I'm yeah. the Knoxville Nashville guy oh, in this yeah. publication. I, I love it, man. We we need that. Know. We need that guy. We need him. 
it, whether it's I'm always telling people about you know Rude Street Peters or Peg Climber. I have no idea why you don't live down there. Like I'm dead serious. Like it's I mean, fucking crazy, dude. <laughs> like you hey. live in Chicago, you're like fuck the Chicago scene. I'm moving down to fucking man. Yeah. <laughs> if you're tired of the cold, man, I mean the, the winters are a lot better down here. Yeah. Uh, so many, so many um, friendships I've made just from the love of your music. You know, I'm friends with you know my uh, Mike Purcell. Uh, Sean, who used to be the the web web guy of your uh, of your of your site, he uh, has Fed Elvis Records. Mm-hmm. Uh, Darren from Velocity of Sound. These are all like close uh, close friends of mine. Andy, the Web Monkey, parentheses. Uh, oh yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, man. I Eric from uh, Hurts to you know Hurts to Laugh. Mm-hmm. These are all like these are my homies. And it's all because of my uh, the, the Kevin Bacon circle of super drag. <laughs> well, yeah, man. I mean, we've been really fortunate, you know, to have cool friends that could record and, you know, or just, you know, like-minded bands to play with and, uh, you know, um, feel very lucky to be associated with every, every one of those people that you just mentioned. I mean, uh, Velocity of Sound, I mean, they, they used to put out records for cost. Who does that? Right. No yeah. one. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Whatever the opposite of a cash grab is, that's the that's the opposite. You know? <laughs> it's just, just like trying to turn people on to ship just because, you know, like this is wild. Yeah, it's like he, you know, he wanted to make something that didn't exist. He just wanted it to exist. So yep, exactly. Yeah. He he made I fucking it. Love that shit. Made it happen. Love that shit. Uh, you know, he uh, one of the Lee's records, uh, one of the forty fives, John. Uh, it actually plays in reverse. You have to put the needle on the inside of the the record, and it plays backwards. And then when you flip the record over to the other song, it's got elements of the first side songs in reverse. Yeah. On it. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anybody had ever done that before, to my knowledge. That that was never done before. So I mean, <laughs> and that's velocity of sound. I mean, that's kind of that was kind of the way he was thinking a lot of the time. He wanted to do st- stuff with vinyl that hadn't been done before. Yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, but yeah, Mike Purcell. I mean, I've let me tell you <clears throat> that double album. Me and Mike Purcell spent a lot of time together. A lot. I think it was like <laughs> fi- he told me we we worked on that record fifty two days. Oh, geez, that's like, like something they did like in the sixties. I mean, that's a well spread. It, it was spread out, you know, over right non consecutive. Yeah, a period of time just because you know he had other projects and the, I had a work and stuff but uh yeah my Purcell there's I mean you talk about a best case scenario for recording like if you show up knowing if you show up down there knowing what you're doing like you've you're rehearsed you know what overdubs you want to make what what sounds you want to use like you cannot outwork the dude or you can't work any faster nobody I've ever seen yeah. is yeah. able to go faster and do more in a shorter period of time that's fucking um, cool, man. Yeah, like can't again, like uh, can't really say enough good things about Mike. I mean, his yeah. mastering rules, the, the pedals that he's making, those oh, those all rule. Uh, Monkey Riot <laughs> pedals, like he, I mean, he's putting it down strong. Yeah. So big, big shout out to Mike Purcell. <laughs> Hope he's listening. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, thank you so much, John. Though for real, uh, it means a lot. Get everyone get the, the the new record pre-order if there's any left. It's killer, um, and 
check out everything out other than I mean you can still check out Sucked Out that's fine but every, <laughs> if you like Sucked Out everything else after that is even better <laughs> if you like Giorgio you'll love remember this, uh, this, yeah. I don't know why it just reminded me of that uh, yeah, yeah. If you, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me on, and I appreciate you listening to all the jams and and you know caring enough about it to want to holler at me. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, this has been uh, the Crush Monocle Podcast. I am your host Coop. This is my co-host John. Hello, audio problems, video problems, connoisseur. Yeah, <laughs> and the guest this week was uh, Mr. John Davis. From Super Drag, the Lisa Memory, Epic Ditch, Rectangle Shades, blah, 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 blah. Thank you for listening. Like, subscribe, and share, and all that stuff the kids do. And we will catch you on the next one. Peace out. Peace.